So we're going to venture into this today. Um, if you'll pass your books down, take out your note cards. We want to conclude on our five core value focal point. What that simply means for us is these are five really deep held, deeply held convictions in our lives. These are the five things. If somebody hangs around here for any length of time, they should become an outrageously loving person, first and foremost. They should then become a passionately pursuing Christian. They're pursuing the Lord with all of their heart, irrationally giving, consistently submitting, and then today, effectively discipling others to do the same. The phrase is on your, your note card. You can see it there. But we, this is really the expression of who God has called us to be as disciples. We are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. So we have walked through these five weeks, 40 days focus, um, each week looking at this and revisiting these important things. You know, Paul said to Timothy, I know you know this stuff, and I know that you're firmly established in these truths, but I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of the body. How many of you know you don't learn something in the kingdom of God and then you're finished with it? You learn something and then God expands it and enlarges it within you. And so today we want to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. I want to drive you down a, a, a lane of conversation uh, with this particular idea. I'm going to share with you where the community groups are going this week in conversation. My message is not going to be the community group uh, conversation. It's going to be a, a pitch to that and a direction of that. But we want to grow together in community and connection and relationships. Something healthy about our gathering, not forsaking the assembling, is coming together and worship in this regard, hearing the preaching and impartation of His Word. Then there's also something healthy about not just gathering in the temple, but meeting house to house, face to face, where we're actually having a conversation about these things, how this applies on a personal level. So we've learned that if all we're doing is attracting people to attend church, then we're actually contributing to the greater problem of disillusionment that exists within our society with the church. And the world really doesn't want to hear what we believe. The world really wants to see if we believe what we say we believe. And if we're going to effectively disciple others, then we've got to understand that. And that's where I want us to, to go today. That's what I want us to see. Uh, I was inspired, and I just want to inspire you in this regard. When I started looking up uh, and evaluating Joshua and what a mighty man of God Joshua was in Scripture, and I, I saw that he not only was a mighty man of God, but then his son became a mighty man of God. And, uh, you know, our goal here is not that we serve the Lord, but that we embrace a legacy that's beyond where our legacy has been. How many of you want God to expand your legacy? Like, not just natural, but I'm talking spiritual sons and daughters as well. And so Joshua's sons, they were faithful high priests serving the Lord and serving the cause of Christ ultimately to be revealed and the cause of God in their hour in the earth. But not only did Joshua's son serve God as a high priest, Joshua's son's son followed after his faith. And not only was his son's son, but it was his son's 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 son. All the way 14 generations. That blew me away to think somebody was so mighty in their faith and left such a legacy of impartation that 14 generations of sons served God as a high priest. Now, how many of you want that kind of legacy? 
Like, we can't just hope it because hope's not a strategy. So we need to understand how to cultivate that legacy and release that. And, and, and we need to all understand this. And let me just say it loud and clear. What you do today and what you fail to do today will echo for thousands of years in hundreds of thousands of lives. And this should greatly affect anybody in this room who's single when you start considering who you're going to marry. Like, this is going to perpetuate. What you do and don't do, it perpetuates through the generations that follow after you. And, you know, a, a guy might look at a girl and say, oh, she's hot, man, I'm going to marry her. But, you know, let's, let's just kind of have a sidebar for a moment and think about this. Is that really the, the stipulation for establishing a legacy? Like, we're not just talking about having a thrill here of a connection. We're talking about the legacy of eternity being established in the earth. Will that girl make a good wife? Will she make a good mom? Will she make a great, you know, awesome grandmother? Is she the type of person that I want to be attached to the legacy, perpetuating years after that? I mean, guys, we need to think in those terms. Ladies. Yeah, is he the type of guy who's going to tell the kids about Jesus? Will he make a good husband? Will he make a good father? Will he tuck the kids in at night? Will he help them love the work of God on the earth? I mean, the church has its issues. We know that. We all understand that. We have that conversation regularly. If it weren't for God's love for the church, giving Jesus to actually establish the church, many of us in the room would abandon the whole idea. But this is what God's called us to devote our lives to. And in that process, we understand love is patient, love is kind love is long suffer. This is the opportunity for us to establish that. Is, is this the kind of guy that's going to devote himself to really understand what God's desiring to do in the earth, what God's desiring to do in the home, what God's desiring to establish in the legacy? So here's the thing. Many of us in the room, we really don't have uh, you know, a, a lineage of faithful servants of Jesus. Maybe we didn't come. Maybe you didn't come from this incredible lineage that I'm talking about. But God can use you to start that legacy in the earth. God can use you. Come on, why don't you just agree and celebrate that in today? Let's put a point of contact to this. God's raising up some mighty men and women of God that will be a part of the legacy of Jesus in the earth. It's part of what we'll be doing next week in terms of water baptism and celebrating. There's some people that are passing through the water that are declaring notice is being served on the attachments of the past, and they're being broken as it was for the Israelites who walked through the Red Sea, and that which had held them and their forefathers captives perished in the water. So is it in water baptism when we combine our faith. This is more than a mere little ceremony or symbolism that when we mix this with our faith, then bondages are broken, strongholds are broken, there begins to be a liberation to a brand new place of the call of God in our lives. So we want to talk about how to do this in the course of community group, and let me just give you the essence of those conversations. These are the blanks that will be filled in in those conversations this week. Number one, and very importantly that we need to understand it, very confused idea in the church world that you and I live in today, but effective discipling begins in the home. Effective discipling begins in the home. For the Jews, the ministry center has always been the home. It centers around everything that goes on in the home. For the Christians, 
The ministry center seems to be the church. Think about it. If, you, if we're going to make incredible disciples, young men and women of God, who are going to grow in their faith and their relationship with Jesus, then we're going to have to stop trying to rely on kids and youth programs to make that happen. Those are supplemental partnership to you answering the call of God in your life, in your home. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's great that we have communion in the church family together. Do you have communion in your home? It's great that we have prayer teams available to pray with you. Do you have prayer in your home? It's great that we have instruction of the Word and teaching. Do you have teaching in the home? Do your kids ever see you open your Bible and have a conversation out of Scripture? Because if you're really going to establish the true legacy God wants you to possess, you better get on with it and get a hold of what I'm talking about. The ministry center for the body of Christ needs to be the home, and the church is greatly impacted when we get that right. We're going to talk about how to do that in our groups this week. The devastated family can be replenished, can be restored, but we've got to be willing to see how to walk that out. Let your next blank. Broken walls of legacy absolutely can be restored. They absolutely can be restored. God wants to replenish and restore those broken walls of legacy. And your discussion, of course, will be out of Nehemiah with that. And then the third blank, when you live this life of legacy, it's important that you not only find a place for you to serve, but take your kids with you. Like a life of legacy involves. I, I a long time ago, learned that, and, and just go with me on this, because I talk to pastors about this all the time now, uh, I don't believe in the idea of balance. Balance your life and balance your family and balance your ministry. And, and if I can balance my family and balance my call to the church, what I have is two weights fighting against each other. And how many of you know, no pastor needs his family fighting against his ministry. His family is his ministry and his ministry is his family. And so what we don't need is balance. What we need is harmony. And I was reading through a journal recently, and, and Faith and Lexi have been with me on many hospital visits over the years. Why? Because that's how we harmoniously connect in that regard. Ministry trips out and about become family travel, and we take time together. You can harmonize all of this together if you'll connect uh, on, on the level of priority that needs to, to be prioritized. And I was looking in my journal recently. We were uh, actually visiting a family that had just had a baby. We were in the hospital, and Faith was really little. Lexi couldn't hardly talk yet, and, and Faith could talk enough to invade the room with conversation. And I said, oh, well, we're really excited to be here. We just want to pray a blessing over your family. Let's pray. And I closed my eyes, and before I could start praying, Faith prayed over that mom and that new baby. And it was just because she'd been in that setting so many times where I was asking her to pray, and it kind of took us all by surprise. We were looking, you know. But folks, like, this is, that needs to be normal for all of our lives. Our family needs to be involved and engaged in walking out the call of God. Our children need to experience it in such a way that it's not just this odd thing for them, but that's who we are. Like, we take our kids with us. Greet with your kids by your side. Do the things that God's called you to do with your children along the journey. So what does the journey look like? That's what I want to talk to you about today. What does personal ministry look like? You know, this is one of our, we have phrases that, are, that come out of our core values, and one of those phrases is people ministering to people. 
is what will truly change the world. People ministering to people as a way of life will change the world. I mean, just think about what that's saying. Is the goal that you try to get all your friends to come to church? Because how many of you understand, that's what we've been told over the course of time. And, and let me just say, I think your friends and family will be better off if they do come to church. But you got to understand something. Your ultimate objective is not to try to get your friends and family to come to church. Your ultimate objective is to try to get your friends and family to know Jesus. And that doesn't happen by introducing them to the church. That happens by introducing them to Jesus. I mean, I understand this is kind of challenging paradigm for all of us, but if you can just kind of go there with me, our goal in this church family is not to make you more church-like. Our goal in this church family is to make you more Christ-like. That everywhere you walk, you're walking with a sense that God is purposing the steps of the like everywhere you go, the steps of the righteous are actually ordered of the Lord. There'll be times that God will just prompt you to give consideration to a need or a situation around you, and boy, that's vitally important. James puts it this way in James 2:14. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? I have faith. What do your actions say about what you believe? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Is that the kind of faith that's going to save anyone? How many of you know that's the kind of faith, largely, most Christians tend to have in the Western world? We believe a certain way, and because we believe a certain way, well, then we're Christians. And the focus has become what we've chosen to believe. But it's not just about what you believe, it's about how you behave. And here's the bulletin, it's not just about how you behave trying to conform to a certain thing, but it's about the heart behind everything you do. Because we as Christians, we believe what we believe. But the problem is we love what we love even more than we believe what we believe, and what we love actually drives our behavior. So getting all of that in alignment, where we love God, we love others, we devote ourselves to knowing God. We devote ourselves to caring for others. Folks, that's the kind of faith that will save a lot of people. Come on, celebrate that with me a little bit. I need your help releasing some of these things in the atmosphere. James goes on in verse 17. He says, so you see, faith by itself is not enough. Let's just be clear. Faith by itself is not enough unless it produces Good deeds. Christians should be known as people of good deeds in the earth. You know how Christians are known? The ones that believe a certain way, and they're religious, and many times they're hateful. I mean, let's just be honest, and we need to address it so that we can get it right at least a little more Faith by itself is not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. So I'm just going to toss out some things to you. I'm not going to take too much longer, but I want to give you a couple of things to really think about in this regard. One, you and I must absolutely refuse. And this, this probably will rub you wrong, 
let it rub you raw. Think about it. Ponder it. Don't just hear it. Think about what I'm saying. We must refuse to reduce the gospel to our moral conclusions. The gospel is not about moral conclusions that we use as weapons to club people who are dumb and don't believe the same way we do. The Bible doesn't say you'll be known by your morality. I know especially the conventional religious mindset is, is screaming right now, are you saying it's all right to be immoral? That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just that morality is not the ultimate standard of achievement of the gospel. Okay, understand, the Bible doesn't say, we have to be careful not to reduce this to this, because this is what we've done largely in our society. The Bible doesn't say you'll be known by how moral you are. You'll be known how incredible your theology is. You'll be known because you believe what you believe, and you're strong about what you believe. That's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says you'll be known by your love. How much are Christians known by their love? How much are the Christians you know known by the love they have for others? It's really difficult and challenging to think about it, but most Christians, most believers, they don't have a problem trying to be Christian. We all try hard to be Christian. We don't forget to try to be Christian. We forget to be human. Now, I've really reflected on this a lot this week, and I've thought about some things that I knew would be maybe too much to bring congregationally and needs to be more of a private conversation, but I'm just going to tell you the apple cart needs to be upset in the body of Christ in the hour in which you and I live. And we need to become a people who are known by our wonderful deeds of humanity because we care about people. We're not loving people because we're trying to change them. We're loving people because we're trying to love them because that's what we're called to do. What they do with that love is really none of our business at all. And when we make that the ultimate objective of our expression of love, then we're giving love with a hook in it to try and get something back for ourselves, another notch in our belt. It's just not what God's asking us to do. So here's the thing. Um, <laughs> that which is kind really attracts us, don't, doesn't it? And that which is self-absorbed, selfish, really repels us. Would you agree? So here's a, a video. I'm going to do two videos. Uh, I was debating if we were going to do both. But here, the first one, it's going to show the combination of both of those. This is not the horseback riding one. This is the, the first one, the, the one I asked you to pull in today. So I want you to see. Now, I want you to be heartwarmed about how loving and kind people can be as you see this. Wearing number one for the Los Angeles traffic today is nine-year-old Tommy Douglas. Tommy has lived most of his life in the hospital after being born with a potato for a heart and will undergo a heart transplant surgery next weekend. 
He's about as big of a traffic fan as they come, so in partnership with the Grant-A-Wish Foundation, both teams have agreed to come together and have Tommy run the first play of the game. And he got the handoff, and there he goes! Made a little cutback move, and it looks like he's gonna go all the way. <laughs> Look at him go. Wow. This is really one of those heartwarming moments in sports where you just... Oh! Oh, my God! That was just... That is not... <laughs> so... So... <laughs> <laughs> so it's so heartwarming, the kindness. And then like a so... <laughs> I don't know why that's just so hard to recover from. That's why I was debating whether not to show it to you. But like, then it's like overwhelming how somebody could be so selfish. I mean, it's such a great comparison of the two, is it not? It is such a great comparison. When you, when you look at the two, like kindness draws people in, selfishness repels, okay? So now this one's not ending in a joke. This is a real one. Because I want to challenge you to think, do people know you by your kind gestures and consider, do people know you by your human compassion? Do people know you like by the perspective that you hold as you hear about something and you devote yourself to make a dream come true for somebody else? And this is a great depiction of that. It's just a brief clip. that is heartwarming. That is Christian. That is Christian. I mean, the church has lost sight of what truly Christian is because we've worked so hard to be spiritual. We've lost sight of what it means to be practical. You know, you and I are called the salt of the earth. And I love this analogy because salt is sodium chloride. And sodium alone will kill you, and chloride alone will kill you. But without sodium chloride combined in your system, you'll die. And here's the thing, when it comes to church and, and ministry, just hear me out on it. Being spiritually alone, just being spiritual alone will kill. And being practical alone will kill. Without the practical spiritual, like you do understand, Jesus Christ came to the earth. What was his name? Everybody called him Jesus, right? That was his name. It was his human earthly name. And when, when he asked Peter, who am I? Peter didn't say Jesus. What did he say? The Christ. He said, I'm identifying something beyond humanity in you. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. I'm identifying heaven in your life unlike anything we've ever seen or known. And, and, and Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't tell you this, but my Father in heaven revealed this. 
You got a revelation from God. And when Jesus died, Jesus, the man, the human, God-made man, he's the one who went back to heaven. But the Christ never left the earth. Do you understand? He came and ushered in the practical face so that we could make the connection, so the revelation of Christ could remain and we could embrace it, then Jesus is back at the right hand of the Father. You and I are the remaining human element of God now in the earth, and we carry the anointing of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We carry the power of God. We carry something supernatural in our lives. It's incredibly spiritual, and listen, it's deeply human. I want to just ask you this week, your action point. Purpose something meaningful this week with family and friends. Like, it's going to cost you time, it's going to cost you money, it's going to be something meaningful. It doesn't have to be expensive to be meaningful, it just needs to be meaningful. Looking into somebody's life in a personal way, take somebody with you on that journey and do a good deed. It's a Christian thing to do, isn't it? It's a Christian thing to do. Lord, today I just pray that you would help us to digest specific things that you're wanting us, Lord, to embrace, that we might be able to walk out the will, plan, and purpose of God for each and every one of our lives, that we would discover more what the call of God is on our lives as a family to love each other, to be known by our love for each other, and to become an expression of your desire to impact the world. I thank you that you didn't just lean over the edge of eternity and say, I love you, but you came and you lived among us and you dwelled with us and you laid down your life and you were crucified to death so that we might have life. We thank you that you are the Messiah. You are the coming King who came once and is going to return. You are who you say you are. And we are desperately in need to embrace you not only as our Savior, rescuing us from our sin, but as our Lord, rescuing us from ourselves every day that we live for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, just head bowed, eyes closed. You hear you say, I am not right with God. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to follow Christ. I know I'm not serving God. I want you just to slip up your hand if that's you. I'm specifically talking about salvation. Anybody at all in this room, I am not sure where I stand with God. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anybody else, I'm not sure where I stand with God today. Thank you. So come on, let's all just pray this prayer. Let's all stand together. And let's pray this prayer in agreement. Would you just say this out loud for those that lifted their hands? As a family, we pray this prayer in agreement. Say, Lord Jesus, you came, you lived, you died, but you're alive. You are who you say you are. You're the Savior of the world. And I accept that you're my Savior. Teach me your ways. 
be Lord of my life, that I might be led by your Spirit and leave my world a better place. In Jesus' mighty name.